Well, good morning again. <clears throat> I can, you have to understand already, uh, you're going to have to pardon the voice. It is what it is. Uh, nothing I can do about that. Uh, the mic will take care of that. The one our, part I want you to pray about is I don't start coughing. Uh, last week was the first time, and I, I guess it was two days after I was here last month, I came down with this nasty stuff and had to cancel two weeks of meetings, but was able to get through last week. Uh, Ken Daughters and I had worked it out whether it was a backup in case I couldn't make it. Uh, but the Lord was gracious, and uh, believe it or not, I spoke two different meetings and then cough once. I trust the Lord's going to take care of that again, but don't be afraid to pray about that as we go along. It really is great to be with you uh, folks again. It's hard to believe uh, this is our third and final time this winter. We always love coming here. Uh, we're going to miss not coming here. And uh, distrust that the Lord has blessed our time together in his word as we've been studying the book of James. So if you'd open to James chapter 4, we'll be looking at that this morning and then finish up with James chapter 5 tonight, Lord willing. We mentioned earlier from the very beginning that uh, James is a general epistle. Uh, he's not writing to a <clears throat> specific church as many of the other apostles did, but he's running to Jews. And what he's concerned about is their spiritual maturity. And the, the basic message of James is grow to spiritual maturity. Uh, the Christian Jews that he knew and were, was familiar with and hearing from obviously were not maturing, growing in the things of the Lord. They were becoming more and more engrossed with the old Jewish traditions and the ways of the world. So we've been emphasizing again how important it is to grow and mature in the things of the Lord. Now, I guess by a raise of hand, how many here are totally mature in the things of the Lord? Yeah, none of us. Uh, obviously, we have grown if we spent time with him and his word, live in obedience to him and his word. Uh, life is good, you know, when you're really living with and for the Lord. Uh, life isn't so good for a Christian when they're not. Things don't go well physically in, uh, in other areas in our life, but more importantly, we begin to miss the Lord's blessings in our life. The Lord really can't work in and through our hearts and lives if we are not walking with him, living in obedience to him in his word. And here in chapter 4, he's going, once again, encouraging them to live right before the Lord. And in the first six verses, which we're going to break it down into two sections, uh, verses 1 through 6, uh, there's the appearance of conflict with worldliness among the Christians that caused James a great deal of grief and frustration. And it's interesting, uh, I, we can all relate to that. I have been ministering the word of God for 50-some oh, years, and there's nothing more disturbing than to see a person you know who is a child of God, who at one time was living and walking and enjoying the things of the Lord, and then all of a sudden, they start moving away from the things of the Lord and getting involved more and more in worldly things. And, and the tragedy is, their testimony isn't the same. Their love for the Lord isn't the same. Uh, they don't have the joy of the Lord in their life. 
You can just sense it. And it grieves the heart to see one who is a child of God who is not enjoying the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of being faithful to him and his work. So what James does because of his concern, he deals with it. (laughs) And you know, we have to deal with it too. And not just in our own lives. I mean, that's where it begins. But if we see a brother and sister in Christ who is moving away from the things of the Lord, is getting more involved in the things of this world, Well, don't just sit back and judge them. We're not supposed to do that. We have to reach out to them and encourage them. You know, you got to get back to the Lord, to the blessings you had in the Lord. I can't believe you're not missing them. We have to encourage them. So James here is writing concerning those things. And in these first six verses, which we'll read first, you're going to see... Uh, some of the things that were very much a concern to him. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you ask not. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns, yearns jealously? But he gives more grace, therefore he says... God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, God will bless the reading of his word. Now, as we get into these uh, six little verses, it's obviously James is rebuking them for fighting amongst themselves and also for the worldliness that they're allowing to come into their lives. Now, which is more serious? Christians fighting amongst themselves or becoming more worldly. (laughs) They're both serious. One is not more serious than the other. But in fact, when you begin to argue and judge amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ, what's that going to eventually have an effect that is going to cause and push you away from your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're going to begin to turn more and more and begin to behave more and more in the ways of this world. And, of course, in verses 1 and 2, we have the cause of the conflict and worldliness, and he makes it pretty clear, and this is no surprise to any of us, where, what is the cause of this conflict with one another and with worldliness? It starts right in here. It's ourselves. It's this sinful nature which we have. And I know you say, well, Bob, I know all about the sinful nature. Oh, yeah, I know you know about it, but do you really deal with it? You know, we all have the sinful nature. Praise God, I have his divine nature in me as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I I praise the Lord for that. 
But you know, the fact that the divine nature is in me, I still have to do something with it. I have to let that divine nature to have control in my life. And you know, we know Paul really struggled with this. He says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Well, he had the divine nature in him, but he also understood what? He had that old sinful nature within him. And here you have this constant battle and conflict. And it's just a matter of who you allow to have control of your life. Well, it's obvious the Jews he was writing to were having their own nature becoming uh, having a greater control in their lives than that divine nature that they had in their lives. You see, what causes this conflict and worldliness is what's from within. In Galatians 5, 17, we read, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things ye would. Pretty straightforward. Thus, you see, their desires and priorities were directed towards themselves and not towards God. And I hate to tell you this, but I'm glad to tell you this. If this is what's happening in your life, deal with it. You've got to deal with it. It's between you and the Lord. You've got to allow the Spirit of God to control your life and let go of your controlling the life. And then in verses 3 and 4, you have the consequences and this is a very serious consequence of conflict and worldliness. Your prayer life is non-productive. Have you ever thought about that? When you're not walking in fellowship with the Lord, do you realize your prayer life is really not of much value? It's non-productive. The only prayer that you can really call and have the Lord really listen to when you're in this condition, is one of repentance. I mean, that's how you became a child of God. You know, it's interesting, the number of people I know who are not Christians and all, and they always say, well, we'll be praying for you, we'll be praying for you. And I say, well, who are you going to be praying to? I want to know who you're going to be praying to. Well, if they can't say, I'm going to be praying to the only living true God, the Lord Jesus Christ for you, I'll say, Hallelujah. Pray for me. But you see, even a believer, if he's not walking with the Lord, you know, Scripture makes it very clear, the fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. I had a dear brother who was a fellow elder years ago back in Michigan, and he says, you know, when I'm having trouble... I tell all kinds of Christians about it because I want all kinds of Christians praying for me because in that big group, there's got to be at least a few, a few who are living righteously before the Lord. And the Lord will hear their prayers. All the others, oh, they may pray for me, but I can't count on those because, you see, if your life is not walking with the Lord, it's going to have an effect on your prayer life. You see, it's because you are not in fellowship with God as a result of your unfaithfulness to him and his word. You know, in John 1, 1 John 2, 5, love not the world. You're familiar with the verse. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, 
And we've talked about it before because, of course, James dealing is with all this aspect throughout the entire book. Spiritual maturity will never come as long as you're involved with the world. And, of course, as you think about verse 4, uh, you have it in front of you. We're not going to keep reading these. I just want to draw your attention to these, the words adulterers and adulteresses. Well, that's pretty strong language, and it seems to just focus in on one area. But the truth of the matter is the regular rendering there really just deals with unfaithfulness. We understand what adultery is. It's unfaithfulness. Well, that's the problem. When you're not walking close to the Lord, let's face it, you are acting as an adulterer or an adulteress. You are being unfaithful to the Lord. That's serious. You see, that's why we, these little verses we read concerning your prayer life, it affects your prayer life if you're not being faithful to the Lord. Now, the Lord led me to uh, look at John 15. If you just want to look at John 15, one verse there. And when I say the Lord led me here, you know, that's, that happens when I'm studying. You know, it's amazing uh, when you study things and what the Lord brings to mind. But in uh, John chapter 15, verse 7, he says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now go back to chapter 14 of John, verses 13 and 14. And I've had so many Christians who really don't get the, the reality of what this is really saying. And whatever you ask in my name, the Lord is speaking here, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, just keep those verses before your mind here. You see, one reason we do not receive what we ask for is we ask with the wrong motives, even though we use the right words. Anything you ask in my name, the Lord says. And I can recall a young man that we met who's... Uh, Father's name was Bob, and his wife's name was Pat. And he, this fellow was a minister his whole life, but he had cancer, and he was dying. And, of course, his family's praying that he would be healed, obviously. You know, they just, but he wanted to go home. He was praying that the Lord would take him home. And yet, one of the young sons is bitter because he was praying that anything you ask in my name, I will do it. If you pray in faith, believing, it'll come to pass. And he says, I've been praying in faith. I've been praying in the Lord's name that my father would not die. And he was bitter against God because, you see, God did not answer his prayer. Well, you know, what does it really mean to ask in my name? You know, I know all of us 
when we pray, I've heard it this morning, and I do it all the time myself. I end my prayers in Jesus' name, I pray. And sometimes when I really think I want to sound really holy, I, I'm asking this in the precious name of Jesus. The wonderful name of Jesus. Well, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Well, I came across something from W.E. Vine. Enjoy his writings. But he just had a little comment on this phrase, in my or his name. What does it mean? And I'm quoting him here. But listen to it carefully. To make a request in the name does not simply mean adding the phrase to the prayer. It involves, and listen to what it involves. This is what it involves in asking in his name. The experience of your relationship to him and your fellowship with him. John 15, 5. If ye abide in me, and my word abides in you, you ask of me, and it will be done. You see, it's this relationship you have to understand. If you're really praying in the name of Jesus, it insinuates, it implies you have this very close, intimate relationship with him. That's one of the conditions that has to be met if you're really asking in his name. Then he goes on and says, secondly, your remembrance of his character, his moral glory. Remember who you're praying to. Understand the moral glory, the character of the one you're asking your supplication and submission. And your delight in his will, which his name implies. You see, this poor young man, oh, he didn't understand. The Lord's will in his petition is implied if you're asking in his name that you want his will done. Not your will, his will. If it's your will, you can't really, you can put the words on the end. It doesn't mean anything. Thirdly, it means the appropriation or the acceptance or expectation of his merits, his rights, his claims concerning your petition. See, it isn't really what you want. It's what he wants. That's what's important to understand. If I'm going to pray in his name, I want his will done. He has every right to appropriate his merits, his rights, and his claims to my petition. And finally, asking in his name is shown in living in obedience to his word because of your love for him. You know how often we live in obedience to God's word. Uh, it isn't as often as we honestly as we uh, have to realize it isn't. We don't live in the will of God to the degree that many times we think we do. We have to be. If you're not in the will of the Lord, then don't ask in his name. All right? But I don't want to go along to it because we do have to move on here a little bit. So moving down to verses 5 and 6. We have the cure for a conflict of worldliness. And, you know, 
We know that all scripture testifies that worldliness and godliness cannot exist together. It just can't. The Holy Spirit who indwells us does not lust unto envy, for he opposes the flesh. Also, those who walk in the Spirit do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Worldliness and godliness cannot walk hand in hand. I think we all know that. We even understand it to a degree. But I don't think we understand it enough where it always has real impact in my life. We should know and understand totally that if I'm not walking in the will of the Lord, things are not going to go right between me and the Lord, in my prayer life, in my walk with the Lord, in every aspect of my life. That's why we find ourselves falling into worldliness. And then in verse 6 is really a quote from Proverbs 3.34, and he reminds us here that he giveth more grace, yes, grace sufficient to overcome by humble faith the world and worldliness. It's only by the grace of God. Thus, the cure for conflict is a humble spirit, which is rewarded by God's grace. I'm so thankful for his divine nature. But it's only by his grace it's going to be manifested. And it will be manifested when I'm walking in fellowship with the Lord. When I'm not walking in fellowship with the Lord... Oh, he's still a gracious God. But he can't give us the blessings and work in our lives the way he wants to. And that's what James is trying to get across to these Christian Jews. Stop living like you did before you came to Christ. You're going back and doing what you did before. You know, last time we got together, it was how they were conducting themselves in the meetings. They were going back to the old Jewish traditions, and he had to deal with that with them. Here he's now dealing with worldliness. Now, as we get into the last half of this particular chapter, we have the godly walk. And let's take a moment to read, because God's word is more important than anything that I have to say. So we definitely want to have God's word before us. But keep in mind, the basic idea here is, this is what is necessary to have a godly walk, which will enable you to grow and mature in the things of God. Therefore, verse 7, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one or of another brother. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and, and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, who you, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, and buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor 
that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, we read through that quite quickly, but you have to go home and meditate on that. There's some marvelous truth being brought before us here. You see, the godly upright walk, a righteous relationships are essential to spiritual growth. And this is the point, again, he tries to emphasize. Now, in verses 7 through 10, what you have before you, there are three exhortations that are brought before us that will enable us to live godly through Christ Jesus. In verse 7, it's simply submit yourselves to God. You could also use the synonym there, commit. Commit yourself to God. And it's, there's two actually... Uh, Two-fold aspect of this. There's one that's positive and one that's negative. The positive is commit yourself to total obedience to God and his word. Total obedience to God and his word. That's the positive. This, the negative is totally resist the devil. Totally resist the devil. Notice here. It doesn't say that we are to flee from the devil. <laughs> That'll never happen. Uh, you can't get away from him. But it, you're told to resist the devil. And as you think about this, you have to do that all the time. You have to take a stand. Uh, you know, I... I've had just recently you know, the realization that I was allowing Satan to have a control of my thought life a little bit. And it made me realize, you know, here, and it's a good thing I was going through the book of James because it, it kept reminding me, that's, that's not right, Bob. You, you, you can't get up and speak on this. You, you've got to deal with this right now yourself. And, you know, and I, I'm sure, you know, the things that come into, into my life many times is because Satan is putting them before me. He can't make me do anything, but he sure can put things before me, hoping I will grab a hold of something. And that's why we're told in Scripture that we are to resist him totally. You see, as we do so in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this enemy will be helpless and flee from us. Now, because of the time frame here, we're not going to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, but I want you to mark it down mentally, if you can remember it long enough. If you're, not my, if you're my age, <laughs> you better write it down. But this passage is one of my favorite passages. And, you know, it, it just tells us basically, you are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. See, there's only one way to be strong in the Lord. It's in the power of his might. And then he goes on and says, you know, the only way you can do this is to clothe yourself with the whole armor of God. Clothe yourself. It's really kind of the best rendering. It's not just putting it on. but I mean, it's just covering you. You're totally clothed. 
in the whole armor of God. I went through the book of Ephesians with you a number of years ago, and we went through each one of those six things. We know that five of them are offensive or defensive weapons, you know, and only one is an offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. But you see, the bottom line is this. Satan will attack. You have to clothe yourself. It's the only way to resist, and that's what you're told to do. Resist the wiles of the evil one. Stand, you know, like a boxer. Stand ready to resist when he comes. And, of course, when it comes time to fight him, here's the, here's the weapon right here. You know, you look at the Lord and his temptations, how did he defeat every temptation that came before him? The word of God. It doesn't matter what Satan throws in your face. You throw back in his face the word of God and what it says about what he's trying to get you to do. And that's what I had to do recently. I had to go say, Satan, hey, this is what God's word says. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to repent of what I'm doing ask his forgiveness, and telling you in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of here. Because basically that's what we have to do. But you can only do it through his power and his might. So, <clears throat> second ex uh, thing. First one is submit yourselves to God, resist the devil. Second one is draw near to God. And if you look at that little verse 8, you would think it would be a no-brainer from what you read there to draw near to God. Because what's the result? He will draw near to you. Isn't that what we want? The nearness of the Lord in our lives, his presence, his joy, his strength, his peace. Well, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What a marvelous, encouraging thing. But it also goes on and says there, drawing near to God demands cleansing. Cleansing. Wash. Purify. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water. Ephesians 5, 26. Christ's desire concerning the church his body, his bride, is that they are sanctified, set apart from sin and to himself, and cleansed with the washing of water by the word of God. I, I hope you're getting the message here. What's extremely important in your life is <laughs> the word of God. That's why we need to study it, meditate on it. Digest it. Have it become a part of our very being. Then I can draw near to God. He will draw near to me. And he will take care of cleansing me. You know, the cleansing here, I, I couldn't help but think of the aspect of cleansing. You know, in John 13, 8, Peter says... Uh, or Jesus said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. 
You know, why did he say that to Peter? Well, the Lord is washing the disciples' feet, and the Lord comes to Peter, and Peter says, oh, you're not washing my feet. You're not washing my feet. And the Lord says, well, if I don't wash, wash your feet, you can be no part of me. Well, then he says, well, then give me a bath. That, that's the other word for wash in that passage. Well, give me a whole bath then. And the Lord says, you don't need a whole bath. You have been cleansed from your sin. You know, you and I as believers, we are cleansed from all our sin. Past, present, future. That's our standing before the Lord, before God. Because we stand in him. Okay? I can't lose that. But you see, in my walk with the Lord down here, what happens? Our feet get dirty. This is sanctification. I'm fine on justification before the Lord. And yes, I know in standing, I'm also sanctified in his eyes, totally separated from sin to God. But you see, in my walk with the Lord down here, and that's what he's saying to his disciples here. You, yes, you belong to me. That'll never change. But as you start walking in this world, your feet are going to get dirty. Therefore, I have to wash your feet. And you know, it's important that we understand. We are to walk worthy of the Lord. And we also have to understand that there's a lot of times we don't. And when we're not walking with the Lord, as we should be, our feet are getting dirty. They're getting dirty. I'm sorry. Now, I know people take some of these passages and build big doctrines on them, which really have no place to be. It's the thinking of man. But what he's trying to tell us here, you know, you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But you have to understand something. Your feet have to be clean. You can't be walking in the ways of the world. They're getting dirty. See, you're moving in the wrong direction. You've got to get back to him. Draw back and draw near to him. And he will draw near to you and wash those feet. And, of course, that's done upon repentance. You know, anytime you find yourself moving away from the Lord... It's not like, well, he'll, he'll forgive me for that. Yeah, okay, I slipped up. I won't do that again. Now, that's, that's not the right attitude of heart. When we get away from the Lord and fall into sin, and one step in the wrong direction is falling into sin, you're to repent of your sin immediately. Ask God's forgiveness, and he will forgive you. See, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He was talking to Christians in 1 John. And so it's important we understand what a right, great relationship we can have if we draw near to God. In verse 10, humbly repent out of a grief for your sin. And I guess we kind of re mentioned that already, so we won't have to belabor it. But, you know, a broken and a contrite, repentant spirit of confession is essential for God's cleansing. And I think we're going to leave it at that and move on to verses 11 and 12. Here, the attitude towards other believers is made clear. 
We are not to slander or judge one another. Now, I realize we've already touched on this uh, when I went through chapter 2, dealing with the tongue. But you have to mention it here. That's all we're going to do. I know some of you weren't here that night. So you got to hear it. Okay? The bottom line is, our attitude towards other believers is important. And right away, we're told we are not to slander or judge one another. Now, what is slander? I used to teach law, so I know, you know, uh, slander is really speaking falsely about somebody, but it's not just that. It's speaking carelessly about somebody else. And, you know, even in this wicked worldly system, if you slander someone, they could sue you and get a lot of money out of you. You have no right to slander another person. And that doesn't mean I have to say a terrible, terrible thing. I mean, that is slander if it's untrue. And that's the idea of judging here. The reason we are told not to judge one another is we are in no position to do that because we don't have all the facts. We hear some little tidbit of information, and it's amazing the conclusions we can draw from that little tidbit of information, which may be false in the first place. You know, there's only one who is capable of judging. And we're told in Scripture, judge not lest ye be judged. And why is that? Because the judge is right at the door. He's coming back any minute. He's right at the door, the judge, the righteous judge. We have no place for this. Like I said, I can't get too hung up on this, but I, this concerns me because in many of the assemblies where I go where they're having problems is strictly because people are judging one another. They're slandering one another out of inferences. And you know... It's sad. It's just plain sad. You know, we have to understand, true justice is rendered when a believer submits themselves to God, to his word, in humility and obedience. You examine your own life. If there's a problem there, get your feet washed by drawing near to the Lord. You take care of yourself. You can pray for others, but you're not to slander or judge others. And that's one of the things, unfortunately, in the household of God today is one of the greatest problems and the greatest sins as keeping the Lord from blessing us the way he wants to bless us. And then the final section here is rather brief and to the point, and that's the idea of making plans without the Lord's approval. You know, it's interesting He says, there's nothing wrong with making plans. Make plans. But understand something. I can change them. I can change them. Maybe some some of you were put on something that Pat read on the the computer. I don't spend much time on it. But it it is said uh, uh, something about in making your plans, write them in pencil, 
and give God the eraser. Now, that's just a simple way of saying, don't make plans unless you understand they're Lord willing. And here's another one of those places again. We always say, let's be honest, yeah, I'll be here next month, Lord willing. I said that to the Avenue 54 people two months ago. I'll see you next month, Lord willing. Well, I didn't see them the next month. It wasn't Lord willing. I understood that. I've learned over the years. It just isn't words. I understand. Whatever plans you make, you have to understand, he can change them. And he talks about, you know, your life's like a vapor. It's like, it's like steam. I've been breathing in a lot of steam because of all this nonsense that's been going on. But it, it, it's gone. You know, that's what life is like. Well, we, maybe we understand how important it is, how we treat one another, and how we make our plans. You know, everything we do is Lord willing. I don't know what your plans are as you walk out of this meeting here in another couple of minutes. I'm sure you have them. Are they going to materialize? Well, in the back of our mind, well, of course they're going to materialize. But don't forget, it's Lord willing. It's always Lord willing. And you know, the Lord's will is the most important and the best thing in our lives. I don't know why we would not want the Lord's will done in our lives. We know it's good. It's perfect. It's acceptable. Yes, make plans. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand, he has the final say in every aspect of our life. Does that bother you? I hope not. I think it's the most blessed, comforting thing that I can think of. What would I want more than the Lord's will being done in my life? No matter what it is is good, it's perfect, it's acceptable. Understand, the Lord's will is going to be done in your life. Well, there's an awful lot that came here very quickly. There's so much more we could get out of this, but yet that's up to you. It's not my job to spoon feed everything. I couldn't do it anyway. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart as you now go through chapter 4. And Lord, only tonight we'll take a brief look at chapter Five. Trust the Lord will bless these few thoughts and challenge our hearts where it needs to be challenged. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and your heavenly Father, just truly do thank you and praise you again for your beloved Son and our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. Yes, even for your word from the book of James. Very few things of encouragement are given us there, but they're all things that are very necessary things we must hear, things we must adhere to. For your desire for us is to grow to spiritual maturity. May that be our desire. And you've been bringing before us those things that are necessary in our lives if we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and apply those things in our lives on a daily basis. We are so thankful that you are in control of our lives May we just allow the Spirit of God to control our lives and the Word of God to dwell in our heart richly, that we may walk in a manner pleasing to Thee. Part us now with Thy blessing. 
bring us out this evening, if it be your will. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.